previously on this season of Stories About Music. All these sort of different lives and different experiences can totally exist at the same time, and, and then you're just not sure how you fit into all of it. <laughs> you just try to be at peace with whatever it is and do what you feel is right. Every single thing that you do in life is all connected to what makes you, whether you're a used car salesman or some clown making ambient music like I do, it's all the same thing. I think, uh, I think what I'm most worried about is not being accepted by the world for who I am. Me too, Tyler. Me too. You can go back to a city and when all your friends are gone and the people you love are gone, it doesn't, doesn't feel the same. You think it's going to feel like home and then it doesn't feel like home. Ultimately, I sort of found peace in just not looking for it anymore. You know, not to get into painful details, it's mostly just about trying to move on. And it's not about, like, forgetting the past, it's like keeping that with you and then just venturing it on. I don't know. <laughs> Things have their life, I guess. If I stole Phil's style and documented my experience with music, could I understand it more clearly? Could I understand myself? Like, everything is solipsistic. I'm not sure if that word means that thing, but ourselves are actually seeing the world into existence or thinking the world into existence at every moment. What were you thinking about? I guess everything and nothing. Just like specific things about my life, but also my mind was also wandering a lot. I didn't realize the subtlety of staying in a place, learning maybe even just how to be closer friends with people and kind of growing up a little bit. So I had some of that to go through. It's a lot of weird shift, I feel like, between 16 and 26 or something. I don't really know. Probably never ends, huh? Before we get started, who are you and what do you do? Who are you and what do you do? No one's ever done that to me before. April 10th, 2015. I'm once again sitting in the side chapel of the First Unitarian Church. Two weeks after I recorded my interviews with a winged victory for the sullen, and about 15 minutes after Prince Rama brought down the house in the church basement. I'm Brendan and I'm a journalist. Well, kind of. So I'm actually trying to practice not being anything and not doing anything. So I almost feel like this is a, a trick question that you just asked me that. Since she never actually said it, and I feel kind of crunched for time, I'm talking to Tarika Larson, 29, the lead singer of Prince Rama. It's like an ego removal, but also like a time removal. Time mostly exists when you are doing something because all of a sudden you don't ever have enough time to complete the task or you're always 15 minutes late or whatever. If you can get rid of the doing aspect, it's just like you're you're just here. There's always plenty of time. It's just 
floating all around. You're listening to Stories About Music, a podcast on the subjects of music, journalism, and memoir, and how the line between those three things is often not as clear as I'd hoped. My name is Brendan Maddox, and this is Story About Music number 7, Ouroboros. So you have this like very complex manifesto of sorts online. Um, well, I f- feel like I finally understand, and this is the third time I've read it. Oh, cool. So, like, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> During my last few months in Boston, in 2013, I found the website now-age.org. The site carries the subtitle, Meditations on Sound and the Architecture of Utopia, and what follows are a few pages of homemade diagrams, thoughts on music and eternity, and kitschy internet gifts. Well, it's a funny story because I was born and raised Hare Krishna, and I was really deeply into it. I mean, to the point where, like, I was out living on an ashram, and I had this, like, realization when I was there that I couldn't be a monk. It just didn't feel honest. It felt very like this was how I was raised, even though like I really connect so deeply with the music, especially of the Hare Krishna movement and stuff. I just felt really like constricted in like organized religion. The world is so disorganized. Mm-hmm. When you try to organize it, it doesn't make any sense anymore. The Now Age website, of course, belongs to Tarika. And it sums up what could be called the first phase of Prince Rama. This guy actually, he gave me this keyboard. And he was like, you should play this. And I wrote the first Prince Rama song on it. I just like had this intense realization. I was like, there's other ways of being a monk. You don't have to be in an ashram washing dishes and gardening. When Prince Rama began, it consisted of Tarika, her sister Namai, and her boyfriend Michael, whom she'd met as a teenager while living near Gainesville, Florida. Not long after, the three recorded an album called The Architecture of Utopia and hit the road. I remember it was in Paris, we were like on tour, and I'm just like, what, what do I believe right now? And in the midst of a tour in 2010, Michael and Tarika broke up after nearly seven years. I think we'd been on tour for like 80 days straight or something crazy, and you know, I wasn't feeling connected with this religion. And I kind of dug myself in a hole here, I'm like, I named my band Prince Rama. So I just started like writing out everything I don't believe, and then all of a sudden it started forming. Did it all come out in just one piece like that? Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I did some Google image search for the pictures later. <laughs> it's not like, you know, anything just happens spontaneously. It's like you're obviously chipping away at this ice block for like a long time, and like you read something and that gives you another little chip, and you read this other thing, and then all of a sudden you've got an ice sculpture, and you're like, I didn't even realize that. This was the first draft of the Now Age Manifesto born out of a period when the group was living on the road, 
functionally homeless by their own account. Which is not to say it was all bad. At South by Southwest that year, they impressed A.V. Terror Animal Collective enough that he gave them their first label contract. The trio recorded their first record for Paw Tracks, Shadow Temple, in their new home of Brooklyn, New York. Then Michael took a hiatus that ended up becoming permanent. Prince Rama is now a duo of Tarika and Namai, and it's hard to think of them as just a band, because intentionally or not, everything the sisters do kind of offers a breakdown of what a band is and does. Tarika was an art student at the MFA school in Boston. Her time there, especially the year or so she apprenticed with painter Paul Laffoli, has heavily influenced what Prince Rama does. We were doing this residency for Issue Project Room where we needed to form a fake cult. Any cult needs like a manifesto. And so I was like, all right, well, this will be, we're the knowledge cult, and this is our manifesto. And we really like ran with it. We were like, you know, handing out pamphlets at the subway and, you know, really creating each of the shows to be like bordering the line between some sort of like cult ritual practice and your know, music experience. This idea figures heavily into the Now Age Manifesto, which grew out of an attempt by Tarika to square the music she was making with the reasons she started making it in the first place. It was like exploring utopia through music, looking at the concert spaces like this temporary autonomous zone that has its own kind of government. In practice, it meant stuff like a 15-minute exercise routine that doubled as an exorcism, which the sisters performed for eight hours straight. And then there was the end of the world. This was in 2011, so on 11-11-11, we like staged this apocalypse. I feel like the end of the world would be like a karaoke bar. I looked through some billboard charts at um, all these different like apocalyptic dates the world was supposed to end, and I looked to see what was the Billboard number one hit single. And then we made this like karaoke book of like all these pop songs, um, and we slowed them way down. I mean, so slow. People didn't even know what they were getting into. They're like, "Oh, I'll do Alicia Keys," and then they're like up there for like 15 minutes. is, I feel like that is the closest to witnessing zombies that I've ever come. It's like, if you're really good at it and you're really feeling it, you're like channeling Elvis. You're willingly opening yourself up to being possessed. Possession, zombies, Elvis. These things are like symbols for the ideas that fuel Prince Rama. A combination of outsider spirituality, critical theory, and pop culture. Of course, Tarka and Namai also draw from their upbringing in the Krishnas. Like other ex-religious kids, Tarka still sees mysticism in the world, even if it takes its form in ways that our ancestors might not have understood. I have like a weird relationship with Google Image Search. I don't know, maybe other people have this too, but I feel like I'll just like type in something super random. I need an iguana on a motorcycle wearing gold lame. And then like, I'll just find the perfect picture. The Now Age Manifesto is built on an idea that I was quite keen on for a long time. That a concert is its own form of worship, part of the long tradition of ecstatic religious experiences. In Krishna culture, it's like all call and response kirtans. There's never really like this performer audience boundary. It's like, you know, someone's saying the prayers, they're responding. It's like going back and forth and then it kind of like works itself up. And then I feel like there's this third voice that comes in 
That's the space voice. I just try to create a space where I can experience it and hopefully other people can experience it too. But it's more just like do what you can with love and then hopefully that space will resonate and respond. Yeah, that third voice can come in. There's like this intense like spiritual element to what you're doing. How does that interact with the financial realities of being a musician living in Brooklyn in 2015? Well, it's pretty simple really. We make a six digit salary a year but all of the digits are zeros. (laughs) (laughs) It's like being a monk because you're a beggar when you're on stage. Tarka and Namai have spent the last several years traveling, like pilgrims, from one art project to the next. They've put such an emphasis on playing live, in part because it's widely accepted as the last way to make money as a musician. To this day, we haven't really ever made a profit. (laughs) So it it, it keeps us humble. (laughs) Even though we've always been like pretty broke, we've never been like bottom-lined. We've always been taken care of. We always have exactly however much we need. That's where spiritual comes in. Tour life is pretty ascetic, I think. And so the manifesto itself is like a religious text, a guide to returning to the basics of a ritual that's become all too common. Going into this, I wanted to find out where Tarka's genuine beliefs ended and where Prince Rama's aesthetics began, for one particular reason. The Now Age manifesto takes visual cues from the weirder, unhinged corner of the internet. The kind of websites that explain that the earth is really flat, or that time is divided into four equal quadrants, or something. The manifesto reminds me of those websites because I've read a lot of those websites. In 2012, after the end of my second blue period, the anxiety that I had about the end of things manifested itself in trying to figure out why people were so obsessed with the apocalypse that year. I was aggressively protective of my hope that the future could be stable. A belief that theories like the Mayan calendar, peak oil, political revolution, all seem directly hostile towards. I think apocalypses are extremely healthy for culture to have. You bring yourself to this emotional place where you're ready to let go of everything and start new. But it's like a fantasy. And so I first read Tarka's manifesto, a little uncomfortably, a year later, just after graduation. I think I discovered it around the time that I was aware of what you talk about as ghost modernism within it. Ghost modernism, a pun off the art movement postmodernism, is an idea that I was quite keen on during that period. Essentially, Tarka proposed, culture has become an Ouroboros, a snake eating its own tail. The thing with zombie aesthetics and like ghost modernism is like the past is eating the present, mm-hmm. like consuming it like flesh. Was there anything that you were noticing happening that caused you to like jot down that idea? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like everything is just a parody. Every band is a pun off of something that happened decades ago. A way cooler band or a way cooler actor or like whatever. I just feel like that originality is just being like degraded and degraded. Um, did, did that make you angry at first when you saw that? I'm not critical of it necessarily. Like, it doesn't make me angry. I just like noticed it. It's annoying, maybe, but like, I don't have to listen to those bands. But I did. Well, actually, I didn't. But I did force myself to. 
as part of the hoops that I jumped through to maintain my identity as a certain kind of person. Up until 2013, I had just assumed that I was bound for Brooklyn, to become a writer and join up with the cultural force that is New York City. But when the time came to take the plunge, I couldn't do it. Instead, I spent that summer wandering around Boston, trying to figure out what was me. I barely looked for jobs. I decided, maybe too quickly, that I really should move back to Pennsylvania and figure out just what it was I wanted to make, so that when I made it, it would be absolutely 100% me. My inspiration for all of this was, in some way, Tarka's manifesto. The Now Age was her attempt to make some sense of her own identity, even as the things that composed it for so long were coming apart. Once you're like in that place of having an identity crisis, it just kind of happens. It's like you can't harmonize with fear. Fear is like this dissonant tone that comes in. I don't even think it's produced from this world. And so it's like trying to find that other, like more natural note that's like, you know what I mean? I kind of do. The blue periods, I've realized, are long sustained identity crises. They happen when time has passed and I realize that I am not the person I hoped I was. Except there's one key difference between the two that hit me in college and the one that coincided with these interviews. This one was self-inflicted. I feel like it used to be so much easier to know who I was, or at least what made me special. When I was a teenager, coming to shows at the First Unitarian Church, it was the music I loved. When I was in college, surrounded by TV journalists who wanted to host the nightly news, it was the small, personal radio documentaries I wanted to make. But I have never felt at home amongst the communities that surround those things. In fact, I've pitted myself against them, wasted energy trying to defend my own sense of authenticity. When we went to the UK for the first time, everyone was like, oh, you're like Kate Bush. And I'm like, who's this Kate Bush? And I was like mad. I'm like, I'm not going to look into her. And then like, I finally like looked into her. I'm like, oh, actually, I really love her. <laughs> but you know, it's weird. It's like people will just like read references into things. And like, you feel like you're constantly referencing. I feel like people were making references in the past, but be, you know, it's like the Rolling Stones. They're like loved blues. I mean, they start out as like a blues cover band, you know? And then someone was like, you should write an original song. <laughs> But, you know, it's like, so everyone was like, those people were referencing people in the past, too. But you would have to go and travel to go see that person if you wanted to see him. You couldn't just bring it up on YouTube. And so it's like you're having this spiritual experience when you're seeing them. And then you, like, take that inner experience with you. When you're inspired by that, you're inspired in, like, a way more honest way. Like, the manifestation of it is, like, this more honest thing because it was a moment in time and you can't replay it. By, like, internalizing that and then making it your own thing, it's like that's spiritual like progression of things you know there's nothing necessarily original but it's like originality stems from the idea that like you're in touch with your origin if you're doing this from an honest place you're in touch with your origin moving home has given me a better sense of myself and what i guess people would call my aesthetics i always thought that word meant vibe 
until I was stuck on this story and decided to go to the gym one morning. In the midst of doing a pec fly, I had this sudden epiphany that true aesthetics are like muscle stretches, deep and subtle, to the point where you can no longer figure out where the work ends and the artist begins. I think that's characteristic of a lot of music that I love, and especially the people who I interviewed during the course of the third blue period. Reaching that honest place requires laboring for years, sometimes in obscurity, with the intention of making something true and not empty. The competing desire to be known for what you do, or even just to survive making art, it messes with your sense of self. I have not been an unbiased journalist. I've looked up to and admired so many of my subjects from a distance. But with Tarka, for the first time, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror. Our ambitions started around the same time, and while Prince Rama is massively more popular than I am, we're both struggling to capture that small slice of attention people have left for music. Me, from the town I grew up in, and her, out on the road. You know, you're like coming up to a venue after like driving like 13 hours, and you're like, oh my god, and you know, just like load all this stuff, and they're like, you're late for sound check, and you're like, oh no. And then there's just like some chick in, you know, the place across the street getting like highlights done. And this is just like so bizarre to me. I'm like, there's people just having a day. There's like some old dude, like, you know, eating like a sandwich, waiting for the bus. Like, we're just in such a different zone right now. Is that hard to like have to focus all of your energy into 45 minutes like a day? The playing the show is great. I don't have any problem with that. It's like the rest of the day. And this isn't always like this. I'm talking about like just these past couple days since I've been like super sick. I've had to be like, Tarka, if you want to do this tour, you have to not do anything. Which brings us back to the beginning. (laughs) Which brings us back to the beginning. Can you separate the artist from her art, even for her own good? Your brain is constantly thinking of things to do. And... I feel like I'm at this like weird place right now where, I mean, I think part of my sickness was because I was just trying to do too much. And so I'm really just like, I have to switch something up about my life right now. How do I do this? Maybe I should go back and read the Now H Manifesto. (laughs) They're the people to which things come with great facility. The art they produce is the noise that gets made as their life is lived. And then there are the rest of us for whom art is an impulse based half in the noble pursuit of understanding ourselves and half in pursuit of the things you're not supposed to make art for, like fame or money or influence. I tell myself that my worry is that I'll never reconcile those things, but really I just worry that I won't be able to resolve this crisis before my chance to succeed disappears. Time has always seemed like the enemy, and yet I have to recognize that time also allowed me to find meaning in music consequently, what I want to do. At the end of our interview, I was still probing Tarka's religious beliefs, trying to understand just what the Krishnas are all about, when she hit on this summary that, one, I find very comforting, and two, that I think explains what the two of us are reaching for, even when we get lost in the worldly details. In a nutshell, time originates from Vishnu, who's just lying on this, somewhere in outer space, on this like ocean of milk, on this bed of serpents. And he's just sleeping very peacefully and just breathing in and breathing out. And when he breathes in, all the universes contract and go back into him, into his pores. And then when he breathes out, new universes just expand out of his pores. 
but that's the relativity of time. It's like for him, just one inhalation and exhalation is like our eternity, but he's just breathing in and out. It's like, he's not gonna stop breathing because he always is. He was never born, he's not gonna die. So we're always just dipping in and out of eternity. If this is the noise that gets made as my life is lived, then so be it. At least for now, I don't feel like I'm chasing my tail anymore. Tarek Larson lives in Brooklyn. Prince Rama's latest record is Extreme Now, and it's out on Car Park Records. A new manifesto, under the same name, is due out soon from Perfect Wave. Today's episode was produced by myself and edited and approved by Kana Doles, who sounds a little bit like this. You've been listening to Stories About Music. All songs in today's episode were written by Prince Rama, with the exception of Return to Emptiness by Lashovka and Freund. A list of those songs in order of appearance can be found at our website, investigatingregionalscenes.org, where you can find this and other stories about music. If you haven't already, please follow us on your local podcast provider. Stories About Music is an independent production, but that could change in the future. If you or a loved one are involved with public media or podcasting companies, or if you have your own story about music, please get in touch via info at investigatingregionalscenes.org. Thank you to Tarika and to Mai, to Kena for her help this season, and to Michaela and you for your patience. I'm Brendan Maddox, back soon with more stories about music. You gotta give your life to the life in the end. You gotta give your life to the life in the end.